Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. Welcome to another week of Love Gone Wrong. My name is Stacy. I'm Alicia. We're getting it while we can this week. I got a nice little tie-in to Janice Joplin in my story mm-hmm, you do. at the end. So we are honoring a little bit of Janice this week for a theme song. Stacy, this week, you have an origin story that just can't be beat. I really do. I have the two marriages and divorces of Uma Thurman, whose family background is, you will not even believe how amazing that story is. And you have a legend. A legend. This week, it is a new induction into the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame with the six marriages and five divorces of the legendary Gloria Swanson. Also, we have a bonus trashy affair with Joe Kennedy Sr. Mm. We've opened the box and the briefcase, and it turns out, We know what's inside. (laughs) And you have some news as well. I do have a little bit of news too. Y'all, be sure to check out Love Letters 2. It's a new daily podcast coming to you starting December 6th. There are three episodes up right now. Batman and Robin, Venus and Serena, and Jack and Jill to give you a little teaser. That's for your dynamic duos month for December, right? It's so good. I hope y'all like it. Check it out. Love Letters 2. Also in the box and the briefcase, I found the magic mirror. Let's give a big shout out to our new patrons this week over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Thank you so much, Kathy H., Carrie M., Asha P., and Betty Lou B. New super supporters as well, Laura Lee and Sarah V. Holy cats, we can't wait to see you at the Sunday Salon Mm -hmm. today, Yeah, actually. Time zone dependent, but sure. (laughs) I think it's about that time. We should get it while we can. What do we need to do? I guess we need to go, go, go. So, Stacy, you're bringing us our more current story this week. Yes. Ish. No, comparatively. Definitely. (laughs) Okay. Definitely. (laughs) My subject is alive. Her ex-husbands are alive. So Um, a little more current. More current, yes. So with all of the festivities of this week, I didn't want to get into anything super heavy, so I didn't. I am very thankful for the always luminous Uma Thurman, whose wild ride of a life has included a couple of marriages to and divorces from other well-known Hollywood types. But I'm going to be really honest with you, Alicia. Those relationships kind of pale in the face of the origin story of Uma Thurman, who left school at 15 and has supported herself as a model and actress ever since. Really? So let's talk about the origin story before we bother with the husbands. Get it while you can. This borrows heavily from a fantastic 1996 feature on Uma Thurman and Vanity Fair, written by Alex Shumatoff. And it's really just an epic story. Like, we'll have links to it uh, in show notes on the website. But Uma's maternal grandmother was named Birgit Holmqvist, a, I'm sure I pronounced that right, by the way. I'm sure you did. A Swedish model who, among other things, posed for a large nude statue that was installed in 1930 at the harbor at Sweden's southernmost port. Oh, wow. Just a... Welcome to Sweden. 12 or 15 foot tall naked lady. Fantastic. Yeah, not sure what. I tried to find more on that. Anyway, they're probably not putting you at the harbor point if you're bad looking. (laughs) Yes. That decade, she went to swing in Berlin in the 30s, where she was swept off her feet by the Westphalian baron Karl von 
Schliebrugge, mm-hmm. sure I pronounced that right too, who was 20 years her senior. Everything was going great until, wait for it, Nazis. Yeah, they kind of ruin everything. <laughs> they don't really they? ruin everything. So they jailed Carl when he would not denounce his Jewish business partners. He got sprung at some point, however, and he and Birgit hightailed it for Sweden, then headed on to Mexico, where Uma's mother, Nina, was born. They then went on to Peking, perhaps? I'm not really clear, but Nina was definitely living in Stockholm in 1955 when, you know, what do you know, a photographer for British Vogue spots her. She is 16. She is basically six feet tall. Wow. London beckoned. And then Manhattan called. And this is where Nina von Schliebrugge became one of the top models at the Ford Agency back then. Wow. Mm-hmm. Holy cats. Yeah. Like, really, really. I, I told you the origin story here. I've seen your mom's work in Sweden. This is not even the good part. Oh, God. Okay. So this is from the Vanity Fair piece. Quote, Salvador Dali and I became great buddies. Nina, oh, of course you did. Nina said, I would wow. sit around at the St. Regis with him and meet weird people. Uh-huh. In 1964, Nina married LSD guru Timothy Leary. No. Who was 20 years older. No. Nina says now, quote, my parents divorced when I was six and Leary was the missing daddy I was trying to supply myself with. Once I understood it was a daddy trip, it was over. I am speechless. Right? Okay. (laughs) Meanwhile, Uma's father was growing up in New York City, the son of stage actress Elizabeth Farrar. He was an outstanding student, went on to Harvard, fell in love with a woman while at Harvard who was seven years his senior, married her, had a baby with her. When that marriage imploded, he and some friends bailed entirely and went to travel India on motorcycle. Well, like you do. He met the Dalai Lama there, like you do. Holy cat! He learned Tibetan, and he became the first American to be ordained a Buddhist monk. What? what? Adopting the name Tenzin. You're joking. I, I don't even know if I could make this up. This is incredible. <laughs> when Bob came home, monk Bob Tenzin comes home, who should invite him to come and lecture on the Dharma but Timothy Leary, Oh, my God. Whose wife, Nina, was nope. at that very moment trying to figure out how to leave their marriage. So they, uh, they divorced in 66. Yeah. It's too much. Bob renounced his robes, and boom, Bob and Nina embarked on what would become a very happy and successful marriage that produced four more children. And they remain happily married to this day. That is the most amazing story I've ever heard. I know. I was just like, this is not even real. That's like but trash candy treasure. It appears to be real. Uma Karuna Thurman came into the world on April 29th, 1970, and like all of her siblings, was given a Tibetan name. Uma means the middle way in Tibetan and is the name of an aspect of the mother goddess in Hinduism as well. Oh, that's nice. Uh, Her father, Bob, uh, was an academic, and he's considered the foremost American scholar on Buddhism. Just a strange... Anyway. I had no idea. Not a clue. Much of her childhood was spent in Amherst, Massachusetts with, uh, they had a couple of stints in India, I assume, where her father was doing research stuff. She has an older brother, two younger ones, and they were raised by parents who believed that the kids and they themselves were part of this, like, permanent cycle of reincarnation. This implied that the children had come into the world with their own formed personality traits that would persist. And so rather than try to quash those, they were celebrated. You, know, you encourage the kid you got. 
Yeah. That is not how most parenting... I believe this. So different. Yeah, that is an American parenting, Mm -hmm. however. Nina, the mother, says, quote, there's a verse in the Tao Te Ching that pretty well summarizes how we view our role. Parents are like innkeepers at the crossroads, and children are the travelers who use the facilities and move on. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Nina. Uma says, similarly, (laughs) the word she uses is not innkeeper, it is zookeeper. Oh. And that they really imparted this idea that, like, the the kids were little... Be free. Little independent animals who were, you know, temporarily in their care. (laughs) Anyway, just super cool. That is a different kind of childhood. Absolutely. So while Uma would grow up to become one of Hollywood's great beauties, as a kid, she was gangly and awkward. She was often made fun of. She was tall. She had a funny name. And she alternated between public and private schools, which often put her in the dreaded role of new kid who doesn't know anyone. It created a shy, introspective child. But she did realize early that she loved acting in school plays. And of course, her parents encouraged all of that. When she was 15, miserable and not particularly popular in her Amherst area high school, a group of talent agents from New York happened to check out her school's production of The Crucible. Oh my God. In which she was playing Abigail. So they offered to send her to acting school, and it sounded a heck of a lot better than three more years of this. So to help her earn a living, her mother made some introductions in the modeling world, where, of course, Uma Thurman's success was all but predetermined. Although she did not know she was beautiful, like they, she had been made fun of in high school. Like adolescence is tough. Adolescence is so tough. She starred in her first movie a year later. This was Kiss Daddy Goodnight. It was a vampire thing, if I recall. Fantastic. Her breakout role, of course, was in 1988 in Dangerous Liaisons, where John Malkovich robs her of virtue. And let's note, she was 18 years old when this happened, and she was suddenly a sex symbol for the entire like, world, really. I mean, anyway. Her father described what happened next. Quote, We were deluged with phone calls and had to unlist our number. People of various stripes kept trying to gain access to her through us. Weird people have fallen in love with her image. One guy from Brooklyn kept writing letters for a year. We kept ignoring them and letting them pile up. Finally, he sent a switchblade with a note that said, Is this what you want me to do? Kill myself? Oh, my God. So I would just like to suggest that maybe we stop traumatizing our celebrities. Not cool. Not cool. Also worth noting, like in this period, this is also when Harvey Weinstein was preying on all of the young stars and Uma Thurman was impacted by all of that. Although that would be later, but still. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. So... I think this was a moment of real dislocation and just sudden bewildering stardom, and that that is likely to blame for Uma's first marriage to actor Gary Oldman, who is 12 years her senior. Why do 30-year-old men want to marry 18-year-olds? Well, it's not like he wasn't already married, so... Oh my God, you're kidding. (laughs) Oh no. Gary Leonard Oldman was born in London on March 21st, 1958, and he had a less happy childhood than one could hope for. His father drank heavily and ultimately just abandoned the family when he was seven. Yikes. As a kid, he played piano, but he saw Malcolm McDowell in 1971's The Raging Moon and decided, like, that is what I want to do. 
So he left school when he was 16, worked odd jobs, studied with the Young People's Theater in Greenwich. He loved it. He applied to the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, which I'm pretty sure Emma Thompson? Yeah, all of them. Every, yeah, pretty I mean, much everyone we've yeah, covered. It's Rada. Yes, it's Rada. Well, unfortunately, uh, Rada suggested that Gary Oldman find something else to do for a living. Really? Mm-hmm. Why? It, they, I don't know. He, they didn't love it. It wasn't a fit. It wasn't a fit. He did go on to college. He got a BA in acting, graduated in 79, and then dove into the theater world. He spent the early 80s honing his craft. In 1984, he shared a Best Actor Award for Theater with Anthony Hopkins, who wow. he would later star with on film. No, he's a fine actor. Oh, he's a fine actor. His breakout role was... Sounds like a terrible husband, but a fine actor. Continue. (laughs) His breakout role was as Sid Vicious in Sid and Nancy in 1986. I had forgotten that he played that too. And I remember seeing it and just thinking like, I hate that person. (laughs) What a trashy story that was. Yeah. He had actually turned the role down a couple of times because he had never been into the punk scene and he was a theater guy, but his agent was like, Gary, I need you to take this money. <laughs> you really need to. <laughs> Do you want to pay your rent? Take the, the money. money. I want my cut. Okay. So suddenly Gary Oldman was up and coming for Hollywood. I mean, he was still living in London, sure. but notable for also our Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton episode. Gary Oldman was offered the role of Edward Scissorhands and turned it down. No. Yeah. Johnny Depp might never have surfaced. Anyway. Oh, I had no idea. I didn't either. In 1988, he met Uma Thurman. I don't think either of them have ever told a reporter how precisely they met, but one story is that Sean Penn introduced them while he and Gary were working on a film called State of Grace. There's another story that she had gone out with the director of the film. State of Grace is where Sean Penn and Robin Wright meet. We talked about that movie like oh two weeks God. ago. Okay. Spiderwebs. Did not remember that. Anyway, they met. This we know. <laughs> because otherwise they wouldn't have gotten married. Problematically, as noted, Gary was already married in 1988. And also problematically was drinking excessively. No matter... He divorced his wife in 1989, three months after their child was born. And in 1990, he and Uma walked down the aisle. Oh, wow. Yeah. this heart wants. uh, This would only last two years, during which it seems like Gary was in quite a lot of turmoil. There was a 1991 DUI incident. I'm sure it was a super fun ride for both parties. So they divorced the following year, and in Vanity Fair, several years later, Uma described their time together as, quote, a mistake, but, you know, what can I say? He's a truly great actor. We met when I was 18. He was 12 years older. It was a crazy love affair that ended as it needed to. He was my first love. I had no prior experience. For his part, Gary once complained, you try living with an angel. (laughs) Oh, Lord. We will likely cover Gary Oldman on his own. I will note he did go on to get sober in the mid-90s. And oh, good on Gary. Absolutely. He's currently on marriage number five. Fantastic. So he's almost an all-star, although we're hoping for the best. We're for rooting for you, Gary. <laughs> rooting for you. Uh, and I know in our uh, Facebook group that Bleda in particular has asked for his story. So Well, there's 25% of it, Bleda. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
So none of this is to say that the divorce was not heartbreaking for probably both of them, but certainly for Uma. She had not only gone through this turbulent relationship, but she had been working intensively throughout it. And suddenly she is 22 years old, newly divorced. And the last several years of her life have been spent basically sitting in a trailer eating food. Yeah. What is, what's my life? Yeah. So she thought about, you know, go to school, like whatever, did slow things up, but of course she roared back into cultural prominence in 1994 with Pulp Fiction. This was her first collaboration with Quentin Tarantino. She was nominated for a Golden Globe and Oscar for Best Supporting Actress for her absolutely iconic portrayal of strung-out mobster wife Mia Wallace. It's a good movie. Good movie. Holds up. What's in the box? Not that movie. Trash candy. Okay. No, what's the briefcase? Sorry. Yes, the briefcase. The box is... Close enough. What's... Seven. That's different. (laughs) What I'm trying to tell you is the answer is always trash candy. That's what's in the box or the briefcase. briefcase. Mm -hmm. Glowing trash candy. 100%. Mm So um, before we move on to (laughs) hubby number two, I do need to throw in a shout out for 1996's The Truth About Cats and Dogs. 1996 comedy. Yeah. Uma Thurman, Janine Garofalo. Great movie. So now we're going to jump over to the set of Gattaca, a little dystopian sci-fi nightmare sequence that uh, did very poorly at the box office, but it looked beautiful. I mean, it was a very stylish film. Ethan Hawke, Uma Thurman, dystopia. What could go wrong? Everything. Ethan Hawke's trajectory had some similarities to Uma's. He too was born in 1970 in Austin, Texas. His parents divorced when he was little. His mother would remarry when he was 10, which would land them in Princeton, New Jersey, with happily a stepfather who really encouraged Ethan's creativity. Oh, that's great. Ethan won his first film role at the age of 14, co-starring with none other than River Phoenix in River Phoenix's debut as well. But the movie, a sci-fi adventure called Explorers, failed at the box office and young Ethan turned his back... On the craft and the heartbreak. You're 14, man. He was 14. Yeah, welcome to heartbreak. Mm -hmm. So obviously he ended up in 1989's Dead Poets Society, after which he again tried to quit acting and go back to college, but it turns out he didn't love college. And then there were all of these offers coming in, and he said, quote, I was getting offers to be in such interesting movies and be in such interesting places It seemed silly to pursue anything else. Yeah, I was a little hasty about dropping out when I was 14. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, his his ambition from childhood was to be a writer, actually, which he also is now, but I don't know. Hollywood came a call and... As it sometimes does. So he would follow Dead Poets Society with films like White Fang. He spent six months living in Alaska as a 19-year-old. He loved it. Alive, the Uruguayan plane crash in the Andes movie. And of course, Reality Bites in uh, 1994. That one I do remember. Yes. His long running collaboration with director Richard Linklater began in 1995 with Before Sunrise, the series he's done with uh, French actress Julie Delpy. Fantastic films. Uh, he also dipped his toe into directing. He directed Lisa Loeb's 1994 video for Stay. No. He did. And he wrote his debut novel. Okay, we'll get back to. 
Okay. Ethan and Uma. We're talking about an interesting brainy guy. The Guardian has called him, quote, the thinking girl's poster boy in the 90s. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. He's been trying to figure out exactly who or what he wants to be on the same timeline that Uma Thurman has been working through those very same issues herself. Both are grappling with the pressures of stardom, etc. So while making Gattaca in 1996, they struck up a romance that led to another walk down the aisle for her, his first, in 1998. Huzzah! Their daughter was born a few months later. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, A son followed about four years after that. So, like, Uma's career was a little sketchy during their courtship, and then with the babies, she was working less intensively. Ethan, meanwhile, landed in training day with Denzel Washington in 01 and was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for his trouble. Denzel won for Best Actor that year. In 2002, he released his second novel, which became a New York Times bestseller. Uma picked up a Golden Globe for an HBO movie called Hysterical Blindness that year, and she had signed on to Quentin Tarantino's newest project, Kill Bill, which had then been delayed to accommodate her pregnancy, her second pregnancy. Yeah, that would have been a different film if she was pregnant. Indeed. (laughs) It was high times for the couple. So, of course, everything was about to come crumbling down. Oh, no. In autumn of 2003, the San Francisco Chronicle reported that Uma Thurman was holding up in the wake of her, quote, devastating split from cheating spouse Ethan Hawke and remains philosophical about the distressing situation. The piece continues... Quote, Hawk reportedly strayed with Canadian model Jen Perzo on the set of his latest movie, despite being married to the stunner with whom he has two young children. Oh, oh no. Uma was quoted in it saying, quote, I'm holding up. I don't know what to say because it's a difficult time and I'm not exactly sure what to make of everything myself. She also said that the previous five years had been the happiest of her life and that she wouldn't trade being a mother for anything. There are plenty of other theories about what might have been happening in their marriage. When the divorce from Uma was finalized in 2005, Ethan was suddenly publicly dating a woman who had been their kid's nanny for a while. (gasps) He dallied with the nanny? He says not Ethan. When... Mm -hmm. Okay, in fairness, uh, they married in 2008 and are still together. And apparently it's a good relationship. They have two more kids. Ethan has always denied that anything happened between them during the marriage while she was his employee. He told the Guardian that he had married too young and had no business making vows about anything at the tender age of 28. Maybe he was 27 when they married. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, eh, yeah. There are some quotes from oh, I love quotes. <laughs> a period that Ethan probably wishes he had not uttered. Here he is from a 2004 interview. I think it's fair to say he became deeply depressed during his divorce, and he felt extremely isolated from a lot of his collaborators. Anyway, open the trash candy quote box. Quote box. You know, you'd come up with these rules. One person works, the other person doesn't. Well, then somebody's always out of town. Then I'm living in a hotel room taking care of my kids while you're off on a film set six hours a day doing what you love. Do that for nine months and see what a good mood you're in. (laughs) Oh, Ethan. He continues. I don't know. Don't continue. 
I don't know if it's just too hard to be married to a woman that wants to be a movie star. I know that she has the right to want that. You married a A woman who was a movie star. What did you think you were going to get, man? Dude. Wow. So those are the two divorces of Uma Thurman. Um, Their kids are doing great. They are both actors as well. Apparently, both parents tried to discourage them. And um, they will appear together, I believe, in Stranger Things 4. Hey, when you zookeep, you take what you get. You're just zookeepers, guys. You know why you can, man. Uma had a long relationship with a French financier starting in the late 2000s and had a third child in 2012. They became engaged several times, but never married, and they are they are done now. Uma did lend a hand to her old friend Bobby De Niro, who she had an early appearance with and said that he was one of the most generous actors that she had ever worked with. So De Niro got a divorce a few years ago. There was a little custody squiggle let's say. Okay. And so, I mean, I can't say that Uma Thurman organized this play date, but a play date was organized, passive voice, okay. between Bobby's youngest and her youngest, who are roughly the same age. And so so Bobby could be out dadding in public and all the tabloids magically were on hand to photograph it and page Fantastic. six wrote it up and I'm sure the judge saw it. So that was very nice of Uma Thurman. So that's pretty much all I've got. I only have halos for Uma Thurman. Again, she survived the Miramax era of Hollywood terribleness, and I she has just had a fascinating life and career. I had no idea about any of that. I, right? Thank you for opening that box. If I had suitcase, the trash can. If I had made all of that up, it was incredible. So yeah, origin story. You try living with an angel. I mean. I'm sure she's not an angel, but, you know. There was a lot going on in that. A lot, yeah. Let's take a minute, process that, hear from our sponsors this week. Yep. And we're coming back to the Trashy Divorces Hall of Fame with our newest inductee. Sounds great. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Segal. And I'm Kurt Sutter. And welcome to our new podcast called Pi. People, Influences, and Experiences. Yes, it's sort of the uh, get to know you at a deeper level, the who, what, when, where, and why you are, rather than what it is you do. Absolutely. We're not going to talk too much about what people do. We just want to know about their families, where they come from, you know, what shapes their parenting if they have kids, what shapes their marriages if they're married. We just want to be really nosy. We want to get in there. A deep dive into nature and nurture. And we started it because there are a lot of people that we don't know that we are curious about. Right. And I have no friends, so for me, it's, you know. Try like, to get them out of the house. Listen to it on whatever you listen to <laughs> podcasts on. Yeah, podcast homecasts. Your, 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 your podcasting apparatus. Watch it on the YouTube. He's aging himself. Hey, Trash Panda Nation, let's everyone just take a minute, give yourselves credit for getting to today, and now we cue Sir Elton John. I'm still standing. Would you like to say that you are standing better than I ever did about your personal finances? Our friends at the Oak Tree Group are ready and willing to help you. 
The mission of this all-female firm is to guide you through all phases of your financial journey using an intuitive and holistic approach. Best of all, Oak Tree Group is offering our Trashy Divorces listeners a free one-hour consultation with no obligation to talk about your financial concerns. Give the Oak Tree Group a call today at 770-319-1700 to set up your appointment. Again, that number is 770-319-1700. And you can always visit www.theoaktreegroup.net for more information. Alicia, this one gets into everything you love. There's Kennedys and multiple divorces and open randiness and it's everything get it while you can gloria swanson probably these days is best known for her blockbuster role as the over the hill 50 year old film goddess norma desmond in sunset boulevard hmm. and to that i say over the hill my ass <laughs> there's a great line from sunset boulevard there's nothing tragic about being 50 not unless you're trying to be 25. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I could not have told this story at 25, but after three years of busting trash candy for you pandas, I invite you to come sit on down right next to me, get comfortable. I'm going to tell you this story grandma style. <laughs> Let's do this. Tara, happy birthday. This one's for you and your husband, too. Thank you for your trashy toast in London. And your sweet letter and crafts, we are toasting you here today from Atlanta, Georgia. The story is also going out to all my ladies of a certain age of distinction. Gloria Swanson is a goddess, and quite frankly, so are all of you. Big cheers. Let's raise a glass to us. And to Gloria Swanson this week, getting inducted today into the Trashy Divorces (laughs) Hall of Fame. Such an honor. With her six marriages, five divorces with none of those unions lasting longer than five years. I mean, if you're going to squeeze six into a life, yeah, they can't be too long. (laughs) Topping it off with the sprinkles of an extremely trashy affair with a very married and seven times over father, Mm. Joe Kennedy Sr. Mm -hmm. Let's get into it. Gloria Swanson, film star legend. She will make the transition from silent films to talkies. With a lot of drama and romance and scandal and gossip, an 84-year-long life filled with whatever that Aries girl wanted. Maybe Gloria Swanson is the original feminist. She kind of started her own movement, really into doing whatever you want. You can do it. There are no rules. She will say later in life, I want to look around corners and I dream dreams and most of my dreams have come true. Hmm. That's uh, that's lucky. Yeah, Gloria Swanson is a testament to doing whatever the hell you want to do in life, and you gotta please yourself and getting it while you can. Gloria begins. Gloria Josephine May Spenson, born May 27th, 1899 in Chicago. Gloria's an only child. Her dad hooks up with the U.S. Army, and so the family move around a lot during her youth. She spends some time in Key West and Puerto Rico, By 1914 or so, Gloria's parents are kind of done with each other. (laughs) Like, they. Is there some good fortune in the war breaking out? Well, (laughs) mom and Gloria are staying on bases and dad's overseas. So when dad comes home, like, it's, I guess it's fine when dad's not there. Gotcha. But then when dad comes, like, Gloria's mom is like, I'm out. 
So mom and Gloria will make it back to Chicago, where in 1915, Gloria is in high school. She's acting in school plays, but her big goal is to become an opera singer. I need to tell you, in the 1910s, the star of the day is this guy named Francis X. Bushman. He is the dreamy matinee idol of the 1910s. Ladies love Francis X. He is an actor at SNA Studios in Chicago, who just the year before, we've talked about SNA Studios before, who lured Charlie Chaplin in 1914 away from his contract. So Gloria really likes Francis X. Bushman, and she convinces her aunt to go on a tour of SNA Studios in Chicago, because you could do that sort of thing then. People wanted to know how motion pictures were made, so you could go tour the studio. And here is young, beautiful Gloria, who is naturally plucked from the crowd to star in one of these bit parts in their, as they're showing you how, right? Sure. Well, the world will never be the same. And now Gloria's hooked. She gets a few more bit parts. She's great on film. And Gloria will fall in love with another fellow actor at SNA. His name is Wallace Beery. Wallace is a big old problem. He's 14 years older than the 16-year-old Gloria. He's 30, she's 16, so already a little problematic. It will get more so. So Wallace is going to get a contract at Keystone Studios with Max Sennett, who is like the king of comedy in California and Los Angeles. And Wallace Beery's like, great, Mac, I'll take your contract, but you got to get Gloria. One is two, which gets Gloria and mom to move to Hollywood to start her career. But alas, the heart wants what the heart wants. Gloria, for some idiot reason, probably wants to have sex, marries Wallace on her 17th birthday. This is March 27th, 1916. On the wedding night, Wallace Beery rapes Gloria. So a pretty terrible start. Yeah. Gloria knows from that night that all of this has been, in fact, an enormous mistake. At Keystone, Wallace and Gloria will star in one film together. It is called Teddy at the Throttle. There is a canine hero, a courageous canine hero. Oh, this is exciting. Teddy's the dog. Okay, so Gloria Swanson is the damsel in distress, and she's kidnapped by Wallace Beery, who will tie her literally to the railroad tracks to have Teddy, the courageous canine, alert the train conductors and save Gloria Swanson from her disastrous fate. And you thought my synopsis of Gattaca was weird. I mean, come on. Oh, my God. It's a trope, and it's so meta, and I love it. (laughs) Poor Gloria, though. Soon enough, she's pregnant. So Wallace Beery will helpfully bring her home some medication for her morning sickness, which is really an... No. Yeah. Which is really an abortion-inducing drug. Yeah. So with Gloria none the wiser, Gloria is rushed unconscious to the hospital, like the following morning. So pretty much as soon as she's out of the hospital, Gloria's filing for divorce. Yeah. I... Because you poisoned me? Well, and here's the thing. You've never heard of the name Wallace Beery before. Max Sennett is going to make one of them a star, and it is Gloria Swanson, not Wallace Beery. Okay. The Poisoner. (sighs) It's terrible. 
She files. This is 1917, but the divorce is not finalized till December 1918. California still has that year pending rule where you either need to wait a year before it's filed. You have to wait. You can't get remarried. You can't do anyway. But goodbye, Wallace Beery. Yeah. Husband number one, done. Done. But hey, it's 1919. And woo, Gloria's been cranking out comedies for a few years now. And Wallace Beery's left behind. And maybe Gloria's looking for more dramatic roles. And here comes Cecil B. DeMille and Paramount Pictures, who will cast her in his hit, Don't Change Your Husband. (laughs) Ironic. As well as another film called Male and Female. There's another one of these titles, Why Change Your Wife? (laughs) I love the 1920s. I mean, and they were turning these out like 10 a week, right? I mean, 100%. But Cecil B. DeMille at this point, like, this is the films that are sophisticated sex. Women are taking charge of their lives. They can drink, they can smoke, they can sleep with whoever they want. And, I mean, it's 1919, 1920. The world is simply changing. Right. Set all of this against the backdrop of Zelda and Scott, right? This is what they're watching on the screens is their, who do we emulate? Who do we act like? Okay. Just fascinating. Spider webs. Anyway, Cecil B. is now on his way to making Gloria Swanson a star. And she is on her way to becoming the queen of Hollywood. She'll also get married again. This time. To a dude named Herbert Somborn. Herbert, this time, is even older than Wallace was. He is 20 years older than Gloria. So it seems like she's kind of going the wrong way here. But Herbert is the president of Equity Pictures and will go on to own the Brown Derby restaurant. Hmm. So maybe it's love. Maybe it's financial security. The couple will have a daughter in October 1920. In 1923, they adopt a son whose name is Sonny Smith, who is renamed to Joseph Patrick Swanson. More about that later. This one, hmm. This one's hitting the skids by like 22, 1922. The divorce is granted September 20th, 1923, but the divorce proceedings are ugly. Herbert will accuse Gloria of all the adultery. She slept with 13 other men, including Cecil B. DeMille. It is so salacious, all of these accusations, that a morals clause is added to Gloria's contract. I feel like that's fairly standard these days, so thanks, Gloria. (laughs) (laughs) Hubby number two, out in less than four years. Lasted longer than the first one, which was like two months, really. Yeah. But wowza. And couldn't keep his trap shut there at the end. 100%. Gets us to 1923. Now, I need you to know that Gloria will be one of the leading stars of silent films in the 1920s. She will transition into talkies. But in the 1920s, just her spending alone comes up to about $8 million. Yeah. Like adjusted or? No, in those dollars. Oh, shit. She's spending money fistful over fistful. Clearly. She's always working. And she's doing all of this loving, marrying, scandalizing, while still appearing all the time in films. Like, she's got multiple films a year all through the late 19-teens and early to mid-1920s. Next up, hubby number three. (laughs) It's about that time. Henri de la Falaise. I mean, she's probably dated everybody in America. Well, Henri is from the famous Hennessy Cognac 
family. Oh. He's also a French aristocrat. Well, I know. fancy. Now, he still has to work for a living. He's not in the moneyed part of the title, but he, you know, he's well, got they, a title. They took a real hit like a century or so before. <laughs> so Henri is still working for a living and he will be Gloria's translator while filming on location in France in 1924. So the most famous movie star in the world meets French aristocrat without a lot of cash, but a really good name. And it's Paris and it's love. And this causes a sensation, Mm -hmm. right? They get married January 1925. Gloria is now royalty. Now she has to wait for marriage number two, the divorce from that to come through. But Henri and Gloria are in love. They marry January 25. Third time's the charm. Here's the problem, though. They conceive a child together before the divorce from Herbert Sanborn is final. Uh-oh. So she'll have an abortion, which she later regrets, but it, it's botched. It goes badly. So it takes Gloria four months to recuperate. She'll return to the States, though, as a wife of a French aristocrat. She's a marquisa. <laughs> there are parades in New York and L.A. when she comes back. Like, she's French royalty, America doesn't even know what to do with her anymore. So Gloria is going to leave Paramount Pictures to take a deal with United Artists. United Artists, Douglas Fairbanks, Mary Pickford, Charlie Chaplin. They want to independently produce. We're going to be our own studio system. We're not going to go up against you anymore. So by 1927, Gloria is becoming an an independent producer with United Artists. Which leads her to turn down a million-dollar-a-year contract with Paramount. It's huge. But working with United Artists doesn't go all that great, and she's losing cash. She's losing a lot of cash. I'm guessing her spending had not significantly changed. No. Since her day. So this brings us to the trashy breakups depot in the trashy divorces story. So we're here for Gloria in 1927, married producing kind of controversial films. The one she's trying to get off the ground from United Artists, the Hayes office will be involved, but she's losing money, just a lot of money. And Gloria's friend, Robert Kane, is like, hey, Gloria, I got just the guy that can help you out. He's really smart with money. His name is Joe Kennedy. Let me set something up. So I'm going to leave Gloria Swanson here in 1927 at the Savoy Hotel waiting to meet up with some smart guy with money named Joe. She does not know who he is. Mm -hmm. Okay. But Robert Kane says that Joe can help her fix her financial woes, so I'll take the meeting. Let's meet the trashy cherry and sprinkles on top of this story. Yeah, I'm curious where he is in his wealth building at this, because I feel like profiteering in World War II is really where he excelled. But tell me. So Joe Kennedy, Hmm. Irish-American big dreamer of a boy. He wants to be a millionaire. He's definitely on the make. Joe is going to work real hard to land the premier bride of Irish Catholic society. Her name is Rose Fitzgerald. Her father is a super big deal politician. Honey Fitz is dad. And Honey Fitz hates Joe. He does not want this marriage. He does not like this marriage. He does not recommend or approve. Good instincts, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Honey's not down. To where Joe has to do his courting with Rose outside the home. Honey Fitz won't let Joe inside their house. Good instincts, Honey Fitz. Joe's going to propose on the sidewalk 
to Rose. But the heart wants. She loves him. He has red hair. He's an ambitious Virgo dude, and their love will not be stopped. Now, I want to just tell you here that don't let anybody tell you Rose Kennedy is a wilting flower. Once upon a time in her teenage years, Rose is denied membership into the Junior League, so she's going to make her own club called the Ace of Clubs, which will become more exclusive than the stupid old Junior League anyway. What I'm telling you is don't fuck with Rose Kennedy. Okay. So Rose and Joe marry October 7th, 1914, begin having kids immediately. Right. 1915, quick succession. By 1919, Joe is making all kinds of cash, hustling down the stock market with a fun little thing we like to call insider trading. <laughs> all illegal things, all of them. He's making his million dollars here, which is great. Awesome. Joe's going to make some new friends too, which are mobsters that he will remain friends with for life during Prohibition, which is going to net Joe even more cash. Yep, yep, yep. Joe decides that uh, laundering that money and making more money, a great place to do that would be Hollywood because he thinks Hollywood people are a bunch of amateurs. Like, I can go to Hollywood and really shake that market down. They don't know anything about the game. Wait till I land in Hollywood. Which is going to lead Joe Kennedy to become a part owner in RKO Films. Which is how Robert Kane asks Joe Kennedy to help his friend Gloria with her financial troubles and woes, getting Joe Kennedy Sr. to the Trashy Breakups Depot on November the 11th, 1927, in the Renaissance Room of the Savoy Plaza Hotel, located on 5th Avenue and 59th Street in New York City, and oh, what a night. We have no less of a historian than Doris Kearns Goodwin writing about the trashy account of what happened in the Savoy. This is from her book, The Fitzgeralds and the Kennedys. As always, see TrashyDivorces.com. Doris Kearns Goodwin writes, at the time they met, Swanson was 28 years old, with more than a decade of successful films behind her, radiant with a passion to take from life every opportunity brought to her by her looks, her charm, and her intelligence. She was a deceptively small woman with bright eyes, high cheekbones, and a large, sensuous mouth. Her skin was pale, her cheeks were painted red, and her hair was dark. The excessive contrasts were a little too odd, a little too striking to be considered natural beauty, but she had a gift for throwing a romantic glamour over herself that produced a remarkable effect on everyone she met. Having risen to the top in the mad lush years of the 20s, Gloria Swanson had decided early on that while she was a star, she would be, quote, every inch and every moment a star, unquote, so that everyone, quote, from the studio gateman to the highest executive will know it. Gloria Swanson's just a badass. <laughs> Gloria's home is the home of a great lady, proclaimed Adela Rogers St. John in the September 1927 issue of Photoplay. Swanson argued later, In those days, the public wanted us to live like kings and queens. So we did. Why not? <laughs> we were in love with life. We were making more money than we ever dreamed existed, and there was no reason to believe it would ever stop. 
For her part, Gloria knew almost nothing about the attractive-looking man with sandy hair and bright blue eyes who was now seated across the table from her. Advised by First Nationalist Robert Kane that he was a banker who could help solve her financial problems, she found that he didn't resemble any banker she had ever known. There was a bluster and a boyishness in him that most successful bankers had long since shed. Moreover, with his solid build, kept in good shape by regular exercise, his winning smile and his tendency to break into peals of laughter and whack his thigh when something funny was said, he proved himself, from the start, a most pleasing companion. Apart from his manner and his accent, Swanson recalled, his hands were the most noticeable thing about him. They look unused to work, she recorded in her memoirs. There were wide spaces between his fingers. He gestured often and animatedly with them when he talked. This is the part that I love. Finally, Swanson recalled, he even dared to ask if she mind telling him why she had turned down $1 million a year from studio mogul Jesse Lasky. And his enthusiasm was so direct and open that she had no qualms talking about it, even to the point of admitting that since the day she had passed many an anxious moment. But she bravely concluded she would do it again tomorrow. I would have been the second or third person in movie history to sign a million-dollar contract, but I was the very first to turn one down. Mm. At this remark, Joe laughed so merrily and so unaffectedly that Swanson found herself deliberately saying more clever things just to entertain him. As for Joe, his new relationship with Gloria, who was considered by many to be Hollywood's reigning sex goddess, must have served to swell the triumphant intoxication of days when he was flush with his own success and was more and more conscious of being admired and respected. In the weeks that followed their first meeting, their acquaintance ripened fast. <laughs> with Rose safely ensconced in Boston, awaiting the birth of her eighth child, Joe felt free to spend as much time with his new client as he wanted. Client. Good word. Good and word. it begins. So, like, Joe meets Gloria, and he's never seen anything like her. Hollywood sex goddess. And he is a man who has, like, never been stopped at getting what he wants. She's 28, twice divorced, no regard for cash, and a feminist, I guess, before a feminist is such a thing. And here's Joe, 38, Married for like 12 years, seven kids, eighth kid, currently cooking in rows. Welcome to Manic Pixie Dream Girl time, right? He wants her. He wants her bad. And Joe can business, right? So he's like, hey, Gloria, I can help you. Let's make a partnership. I have cash. I believe in your dreams and ambition and career. And Joe doesn't really. He just believes in the fact that he really, really wants in her bed. Yeah. But Joe's going to make the long play on this one, and he gets the deal done, the financial deal, and will invite Henri and Gloria on vacation. Oh, right. I'd forgotten about Henri. Come, I, she's still married to Henri. Well, right? so, so is he. Anyway. Come on down to the beach. Now it's party time in Palm Beach, Florida. Good times, friends. Drinks, rest, relaxation. And this is Joe's How to Make Henri's Wife Your Mistress Tour. Because old Joe Kennedy will charter a boat every day for Henri, literally getting him into international waters so that Joe can seduce his wife 
which Joe does. He apparently lasted like three minutes in bed. This is, is Henri fishing or like what's fishing? Just yeah, trolling around. I mean, just pump. Yeah, let's go right around the ocean. He's a Frenchman. They boat, I presume. Okay. I feel like I interrupted you during an important detail. Well, Gloria will recount in her book about the sexual liaison with Joe. He moved so quickly that his mouth was on mine before either of us could speak. With one hand, he held the back of my head. With the other, he stroked my body and pulled at my kimono. He kept insisting in drawn out moan. No longer, no longer now. He was like a roped horse, rough, arduous, racing to be free. After a hasty climax, he lay beside me, stroking my hair. Apart from his guilty, passionate mutterings, he had still said nothing cogent. (laughs) Three minutes is the full-on culmination of passion, but from that moment, the affair is on. Gloria, Aries girl, hooked. She's never seen anything like Joe Kennedy, and he is now in charge of her physically, financially, body, heart, soul. And Joe's got to have Gloria Swanson. So, Joe is going to arrange to get Henri a job back in Paris. Because remember, Henri still has to work. Mm -hmm. And this job, conveniently located in Paris for Henri, really works out for Joe and Gloria. Sure. Who will continue their affair for like the next three years. Joe will have Kid 8 in 1928. We'll proceed with another one. But uh, here's some real trash. This This is a new level of trashy. Uh, Joe is going to travel overseas with his wife, Rose, and his sister-in-law and take Gloria on the same boat. And Gloria's like, that's cool. I'll go to Europe and like we can see each other there, but at least let me go on a different boat. And he's like, no, you're going on my boat. (sighs) Gloria Swanson, for her part, will say that Rose is always very motherly to her. Okay, Straight up, Rose totally knows they're doing it. I was, I was wondering. I'm deeply curious whether was Rose Kennedy happy with her marriage. I'm glad you asked. We're going to do a whole follow up on Rose's reaction to the scandalous affair on Dumpster Dive this week on Patreon. I want to keep this story focused on yeah, Gloria. Yeah, yeah. However, Rose knows they're doing it. She's also the founder of the Ace of Clubs, so don't mess with Rose. Anyway. Dumpster dive this week. It's adjacent. It's a good story. It's trash candy, but back to Gloria. So Joe Kennedy and Gloria Swanson are an open secret in Hollywood. Everyone knows that they are totally doing it, but the press isn't talking about it. Gloria has fallen for his three-minute tango and given him all control, and they are going to make this movie, (laughs) uh, which will eventually become (laughs) called Queen Kelly, But it is a swan song. It's over budget. It's over schedule. It loses like $800,000 in those day dollars, Mm -hmm. which is about $12 million today. Good Lord. Never released in America. Ironically enough, it's considered as a masterpiece today. (laughs) So, go figure. Funny how things work out. This is the last silent film Gloria will make. The next film will be a talkie. But Gloria's really having some tough financial times. It turns out Joe Kennedy is not really helping her get out of her financial mess. He's, in fact, adding to her financial mess. Now, even sadder, remember Henri, her husband in Paris? He'll send a letter to Gloria saying that he knows about her affair and he's done. This is such beautiful language here. Are you ready? 
The fire has burnt the beautiful temple that was our love. We thought it was built of marble, and we wake up to find it has crumbled like the dust of clay. Goodbye, darling. It is all, all over now. <laughs> so goodbye, Gloria. Done, hubby. Number three, Henri out. I do want to mention here, they do remain close, Gloria and Henri. Oh, interesting. Henri will aid a bunch of scientists, refugees, in getting out of Europe from behind Nazi lines in World War II. Gloria will set up an invention and patents company with an office in Paris that Henri is working at so he can write papers so it kind gotcha. of affiliates. She, all the scientists she gets out, all the brains, call her Big Chief. Interesting. Like she escapes a number of mm-hmm. very smart scientists out of... World War II. Yeah, Nazi out of mm-hmm. Germany, yeah. Well, good for them. Now, Gloria, by all accounts, really does appear to have loved Henri. So they split in 1930, but 20 years later, in 1950, she'll write about him. My marriage to Henri gave me the only real peace and happiness I had ever known or have ever known since. Of my five marriages, this one came the nearest to being what I, in my housefrau heart, have always wanted a marriage to be. He was then, and he remains in memory, a more delightful companion than any I have known. It's terribly sentimental, but that's 20 years later in 1950. And after Henri goes, right, because she's thrown everything away for an affair with Joe Kennedy, which is going to lead to nothing. We're back in 1930 now. Henri's out. Gloria goes on and off with Joe for like, I don't know, like another year or so. But she's starting to get a little suspicious. And Gloria's really heartbroken over Henri, who she does love. So Gloria, checking her books one day, and sees that Joe has bought himself a brand new Cadillac on her dime. And a Cadillac for someone else, too. Like, Joe's just using her bank account for his spending. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, I'm, Gloria... I'm shocked that he would do something underhanded. Yeah, this doesn't sit too well with Gloria, who in 1930 is not doing as great as Joe is. Joe's got more money than her. Yeah, how do you think that is? Yeah, and uh, Gloria's like, you got a lot of nerve to expense your life on my dime. So one night out with friends, Gloria is with Joe. She'll call him out on it. Like, Joe, tell me about this, you know, in front of people. And this apparently embarrasses Joe Kennedy so much. He does not make an excuse to try to justify it. He doesn't come up with anything. He stands up, he puts his napkin down, and he walks away. He never sees or talks to Gloria Swanson again. He just walks. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So stealing, not a problem. Being kind of gently called out on your stealing, that's... Yeah, just gets up and goes. Un- unforgivable. Mm. So Joe is out of Gloria's life professionally and personally, so thanks for nothing, Joe. But I do want to wrap up the part of Joe Kennedy here. So Joe in 1929-1930 can afford his own Cadillac. Mm -hmm. He's got $4 million in the bank from all of his nefarious deeds. But depression time, Joe is going to invest heavily in real estate, ending in 1935 with about $180 million dollars which translated in today's dollars is about $3.4 billion. Mm-hmm. How on earth does Joe accomplish such a rapid turnaround? Well, in 1932, Joe is going to become the SEC commissioner for <laughs> FDR. And, hey, rooster, I have a job opening in the fattest hen house in town. You want it? 
So Joe Kennedy is essentially brought in to make laws from keeping others from doing what Joe has made a fortune on. So awesome. Now in 1932, Joe's being pretty savvy. He's also going to tour Europe with his new friend and business partner, Jimmy Roosevelt, FDR's son. So now Joe Kennedy can walk into any place in Europe and get a meeting because he's with the president's son and uses this advantage to line up foreign importers of every type of liquor there is. Mm -hmm. Bottles are just sitting on boats waiting for the repeal of Prohibition in 1933. Congratulations, Joe. You're now the exclusive distributor of Gordon's Gin and Dewar's Scotch. Hmm. Interesting. Now, by this time, Joe Kennedy has $4 billion in the bank, essentially, and he's off to appease Hitler as the ambassador to Great Britain. I don't know what kind of dirty pictures he had on FDR, but there's a book out now that is Joe's apology tour that's written after his death. The Kennedy family wanted a proper biography and all that done. Clean that up a little bit is what they wanted. Well, this guy says that Joe is just like, give Hitler what he wants. We cannot afford to get financially tied up in this. Joe's motives are purely financial in all of the work. Yeah, his finances, not... <laughs> what I'm saying, I guess, to break it on down, is Joe had a lot of time to even things up with Gloria Swanson and write her a check for any of that nonsense, you know, a decade before. And as far as I can tell... Never did. Never did. Thanks for nothing, Joe. After Joe. Because the story's about Gloria. She's in Paris in 1931. Gloria's being fitted by Coco Chanel... Hmm. And meets Michael Farmer, who is possibly a gigolo. Michael Farmer seems to have a lot of cash, but no actual job that he goes to every day. Interesting. But they meet and have an affair. This is before the divorce from Henri is final. Oh, God. Okay. So maybe Gloria's rebounding. Girl, that's fine. But she kind of rebounds with the wrong guy. Because at this time, Gloria's going to find a lump in her breast and become pregnant, too. Wow. And Michael finds out and he's like, I'm going to go public with all of this unless you marry me, which she does in August of 1931. But nobody really knows if that divorce from Henri was really final. So there is a forced remarriage to make it all legal when she's four months pregnant. Okay. She has a daughter born in 1932 of April. How many kids is this now? It's three kids. Three? Okay. Mm -hmm. That's last kid. Okay. Michael Farmer and Gloria will separate in 1933, divorce is final in 1934, because Gloria has a new boyfriend, British actor Herbert Marshall, who problematically is married to Edna Best. Herbert Marshall is not going to leave his wife Edna for Gloria, but not for lack of Gloria's trying. The 1930s are not, talkies aren't as great for her as silent sure. films have been. sure. But Gloria will reminisce about this period of time from an early manuscript of her autobiography. She'll recall, I was never so convincingly and thoroughly loved as I was by Herbert Marshall. But she's going to say that about Henri, too. Mm -hmm. Gloria's a romantic. Mm -hmm. They're going to stay together for a few years, she and Herbert, but it's not a marriage. And by 1945, it must be time again for her to really get married. This time, guy's name is William M. Davey. Slightly problematic. He's an alcoholic from the start. He's also a wealthy investment banker. Gloria and William meet in 1944. They marry a few months later. She's looking to retire from acting. 
But that's not going to happen because he has a serious drinking problem. Glory and her daughter will leave brochures around for Alcoholics Anonymous. Like, (laughs) I don't know how that got on the counter. (laughs) William moves out. Now, William's mad. Because when they separate, a judge will order him to pay alimony to Gloria. And he's like, no fair. She was mentally cruel to me. She left all these AA brochures oh on all the tables. Yeah. Uh, these pleas are unsuccessful with the judge. Gloria and William are done and out by 1946. He will die pretty soon after that without leaving her a damn thing. So thanks, man. Hubby number four. Gloria, kind of stuck in a pickle. She needs to make some cash. Welcome to 1950 and the resurrection of Gloria Swanson. Other actresses were considered for the part of Norma Desmond in Sunset Boulevard, Mae West, Norma Shearer, Mary Pickford, Greta Garbo, all former silent film stars are in fact horrified at the thought of playing in such a role. Gloria Swanson, she's not horrified at all. She's magnificent in this role. It is one of the best films I think Hollywood has ever created as a testament to the love of making movies. Billy Wilder's script, who had just married Audrey. He's like on top of his game in 1950. Oh, God. It's just everything about it is fantastic. Gloria Swanson in this role is magnificent. So much so, she's nominated for her third Academy Award, but thwarted yet again. She's nominated three times, but never wins. To be fair, the competition that year was stiff, with Betty Davis and Ann Baxter both up for Best Actress with All About Eve, but the ultimate prize going to Judy Holliday for Born Yesterday. Sunset Boulevard is a movie, literally is its own trashy spinoff, and I do want to stick with the trashy divorces narrative of Gloria here, because she's the star. Gloria will stay single for a while after this. In the mid-1960s, she's going to hook up with this guy named William Difty who will become husband number six in 1976. They date for like a decade or so before they get married. But there's this amazing slice of awesome uh, from August 3rd, 1970. Gloria Swanson is on Dick Cavett and the other guest. Oh God, it's such fascinating television. The other guest on Dick Cavett, August 3rd, 1970 is Janis Joplin. So you have Janis Joplin and Gloria Swanson. It's remarkable. little generational (laughs) chit-chat. Oh my God, it's just fantastic. But Gloria Swanson in this really does have some primo open the box of quotes here. This is the best stuff. If you put them all together, I wasn't married more than six years. (laughs) I am a romanticist. I cannot get into a rut and be taken for granted. That's the enemy of marriage. Once you lose that, everything becomes dull. She talks about what she notices. She's like, the first thing that happens, at least for people who don't have children right away, I've noticed they have a longer marriage. They continue to do the things together they enjoyed doing as a couple without that third person there. Unabashedly, she says, I'm sorry, I like the honeymoon. I don't want it to be here today and gone tomorrow. I like somebody writing a little note and putting it in my purse and finding it or sliding it under the door. I like somebody to think. It's the thought behind it. Too many couples get too staid. It becomes routine. And it's a pity to have something as beautiful as something could be if you were actually just worried about that other person. I love her. I like the honeymoon. Mm -hmm. She's in. 
If you put them all together, I wasn't married any longer than six years, but I've had five husbands. Oh, God, I love her. Again, Gloria, one last marriage in 1976, which will last into her death. William Difty is a writer for the New York Post. He was assistant to the editor of the New York Post throughout the 1950s. William Difty will ghostwrite some pretty legendary books, including Lady Sings the Blues by Billie hmm. Holiday. Okay. They'll move in together in the mid-60s. They're both super into macrobiotic diets and love to talk about nutrition. Their friends include John Lennon and Yoko Ono. They live right off Fifth Avenue, if you know, you know, for my done and done people. They have a great life, Gloria and William. Marriage lasts to her death. Which was? 1983. Okay. Got just a little bit more. Gloria Swanson in 1981 will talk with the ever-fascinating ever questioning Barbara Walters and Barbara Walters will ask her about her affair with Joe Kennedy. Now this is the thing that gets Gloria mad. She's like, I never would have written about it. I never, ever, ever would have written about this, but there are rumors that my adopted son is my love child with Joe Kennedy. And that needed to be addressed. This child, my son was born in 1923. I named him Joseph because that's my dad's name. My affair with Joe Kennedy doesn't start until 1927. So that's, she says, one of the reasons why she writes her book, just to put that to rest. Right. That child is not a Kennedy child. Please keep him out of whatever curse you want to have coming for my kid. So let's put that rumor to bed. It's just false. Kind of interesting here. She's recalling what Joe was like during their torrid affair. And Gloria says he loved to laugh. He had great humor. But he was not sophisticated with knowing the right thing to do. I was something he had never seen before. And no matter what happened, there he was. Gloria will go on and say she felt guilty as hell about all of it. She said, I went through hell, but Joe accomplished anything he wanted and he wanted me. She will talk about that awkward turtle boat trip. (laughs) And will say Rose was always so kind and she never got upset. She's a better actress than I am. Gloria Swanson will pass away April 4th, 1983 at the age of 84. I don't know how many trash cans, but they're all ready for their close-up, <laughs> Mr. DeMille. Yeah, thinking a lot, but yeah. Gloria Swanson has two stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's one of my favorite quotes from her. If I had to live my life over again, I wouldn't. Mistakes should be dropped in the waste basket. Hmm. So here's to you, Gloria Swanson, and... You trash pandas of whatever age of distinction you want to be. Go make it happen. You're doing great. And we cannot thank you enough for tuning in to this week's episode. Get it while you can. Gloria Swanson. That was a lot of words. I love her. Yeah, I know Such you do. Such a badass. You, yes, you praise her often. Tara and hubby, I hope you like that. She's just liberated. Like mm-hmm. Gloria Swanson, D-G-A-F. And I dig it. Well, that was amazing. It was, quite, it was quite a ride. This whole episode has been sort of an international passport of mm-hmm. Trashy. Mm-hmm. I dig it. Y'all, we're going to be back with an all-new Trashy Breakups for you on Wednesday. In the meantime, you can find some free episodes at bit.ly slash trashcandy. If you need more than that, you can subscribe to us at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Lots there. Don't forget to check out Love Letters 2. Inman is really helping us Inman, now, so we are. Inman needs us to finish. Yeah, get, he's getting it while he can. <laughs> Friends, 
Thanks again. Have a tremendously wonderful week. Keep your hands clean. Keep your hearts trashy. Keep your cats under control. Never. Cheers, friends. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at TrashyDivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at TrashyDivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at Patreon.com slash TrashyDivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear want to advertise with us reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information and last but not least come play with us on social media i keep most of our trashy divorces instagram hopping stacy and i share it up over on facebook including our trashy divorces podcast discussion group come join us over there and thanks again everybody for listening keep it trashy y'all